We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the RoadWire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and we are brought to you by Rival Fantasy. And uh, if you're like me, you're, you're licking your wounds from Fat Tuesday. Uh, but we're going to look forward. We're going we're gonna to keep it moving here with, with some positive stuff to talk about. I've got Ross Jensen from Scout the Stat Line joining me this week. How are you doing, Ross? I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on the show. Like I said before we started this, I'm a big fan, so this is great. Well, I, yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, appreciate that. I've uh, definitely referenced uh, the work that, that you and, and many others have done in terms of kind of taking the, the prospect analysis game up a notch. I feel like that's one of the cool things about uh, the prospect uh, side of things when it comes to writing about fantasy and, and stuff like that. It just keeps getting better. They're just keep becoming more and more uh, strong voices uh, that, that we need to be paying attention to. So uh, great to finally have you on. Um, do you want to maybe give, give the people sort of a, a background on like how long you've been uh, following prospects as it pertains to, to dynasty and just sort of what uh, scout the stat line offers? Yeah, sure. I mean, I could go all the way back to when I was like a, young tyke you know i I just was obsessed with box scores growing up and then when i got a little bit older you know getting out of the house started playing fantasy with with buddies from school you know people that i played baseball with growing up and stuff like that and so we just kind of got we just slowly went deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole until we started our own dynasty league you know we've got one that's 13 years old that with with buddies that i grew up with that we're, we're doing this kind of deep prospecting. And so for me, I just kind of kept going on it, kept going on it. And then I had some pretty good success doing it in 2019. I decided to, I, I saw an ad come across Twitter or something like that. Uh, with the dynasty guru, I thought I would reach out and see if, you know, if, if I could lend some of that knowledge that I've gained over the years to them. And there I met Jordan Rosenblum and him and I just kind of hit it off with our way of looking at prospects and the way that we think about this kind of stuff. And a lot of a lot of prospect analysis for us is really about being the first to know. And so we, we just kind of talked through, he'd done some really great research, really great research on aging curves. And he's got an article series out there on this. 
uh, and minor league to major league translations. He built this cool calculator in Excel where you could just plug in minor league numbers and it would give you an expected major league result. And I love that. I thought it was really cool. I reached out to him and we just talked through our processes a little bit. And I was like, why don't we just apply this to everybody? And then you could just go and find the guy you're looking for rather than looking up his numbers and plugging them in because that's what everybody would end up doing anyway. So that was kind of the beginning of Scout the Stat Line. Uh, and then we came up with a name at some point and we just started rolling with it. Fast forward a few years now, and I think we've had some success in trying to, in, in helping spotlight some names uh, early. And so we've just continued pressing forward. We started our own website about a year and a half ago. And then well, maybe, maybe even a little bit longer than that, about a year and a half, close to that. And we've just expanded. We've just been expanding. And now we've got you know, podcast, we've got writers, we've got all sorts of good stuff that we're, we're trying to put out there. Um, but yeah, just very humble beginnings and doing the best we can to give people the best information we can. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, you guys have done great work. Jordan's, Jordan's great. Uh, Jordan, like, is always trying to trade with me in our Dynasty Leagues. I apologize to, to Jordan about uh, not being as active of a trader as he probably wishes I was. Uh, so for today's episode, we're, I basically wanted you to kind of pick which players you wanted to talk about and sort of which players you think uh, the masses or, or maybe even like I'm sleeping on or just people that might be undervalued out there. And of course, the very first name on your list is a guy that everyone knows about at this point, uh, Junior Caminero. But a uh, question, I guess, is sort of where should we value him uh, among prospects? Well, uh, that, that is the question, right? That's a tough <laughs> one. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't you? I'll give you the floor. What do, what do you think? Well, so this was this was somebody that over the the off season that I I'd, I'd said I think this guy is going to be a big breakout. You could argue that the breakout already happened last year, and then he played in in the Australian league and was pretty dominant there against guys that are seven, eight years older than him. So you could argue that the breakout already happened. In fact, I, I tweeted something about Junior and, and somebody had quote tweeted that, like breakout already happened. It's like, yeah, that's true. But it, we're all looking at what a breakout is a little bit differently. And for me, it's he's going to fly up rankings. And I think we're going to see that this year. I, I don't think that there's a lot of other players to be honest, that I would rather own than Junior Caminero when it comes to a dynasty league right now, because he's just mashing and he's going to continue to do so. In my opinion, I think we've already seen enough to to indicate that. Somebody asked me, you know, well, you know, what would you do with like a James Wood versus a Caminero? And that's where things get really interesting because. I'm not quite sure, you know, I'm a little reserved when it comes to saying like he needs to be above these guys. If you're going strictly from a numbers perspective, I think he's arguably top 10, but you know, you have to wonder if there's going to be a little bit of regression in in some of those numbers and he's going to come down to earth a little bit, but that's kind of how I'm seeing it right now. And I'm kind of treating him like he's that quality of a prospect. 
Yeah, he was in my top 10 uh, in terms of prospects on the most recent uh, Dynasty update. Um, there you go. That went la- live last week. I mean, I I could see. I think it's – and I'll be doing – I think I'm shooting for like May 25th for my first big in-season update. And him being the number one ranked prospect on that update and – in uh, about two weeks is in play, I think. Uh, you know, we we can, I think it's very tough to to kind of look at a player right now, um, now that Carroll's graduated, uh, Gunner's graduated, uh, and just sort of say like, this is the clear number one uh, prospect for, for Dynasty. I, I don't really think the guys who were at the very top before the season have kind of run away with that title. And you have guys like Jackson Holiday and Junior Caminero uh, kind of coming up behind. Um, even just kind of ranking Caminero among like Kyle Manzardo and Curtis Mead on the Rays is is interesting because you know they're all sort of down the defensive spectrum a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and those guys are theoretically closer than Caminero. But he just kind of seems like he's on a rocket ship, uh, and I obviously there there should be some regression coming. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I could also see him being at double A in, you know, in the next couple right. of months um, around his 20th birthday. I turns 20 in July. So I, if someone wanted to say today, Junior Caminero is the number one prospect for Dynasty, I don't, I wouldn't have a strong argument against that. I think he's, I think you're right. I think he's in play for it. Uh, personally, I'm, I'm under the belief that Jackson Holiday is number one and he's going to be, Okay. Probably for another year or so. Caminero is probably pretty close up there. Question for you. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen your most re- recent rankings list. Did you have him above James Wood? I did. I did. Uh, I think the only part of their games where I would give Wood the edge is stolen bases. Uh, Which I is think. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think I think just if we're looking at the other four categories, uh, and regardless of whether you play batting average or OBP, I, I'd give Caminero either. I, I think it's either a tie or I give Caminero the edge. Uh, and then uh, I also kind of I kind of gravitate more towards guys in that kind of you know like five eleven to six three sort of height range. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're sort of projecting ahead, not to say that guys that are as tall as wood can't have a ton of success, but it's just, it's less common. And uh, I just, I kind of trust Caminero, Caminero's hit tool um, more than wood if we're looking ahead to double A and triple A. But I did have, I did have holiday ahead of Caminero. Um, And I think to me, almost the, the difference between holiday and Caminero is I might take Caminero over Holiday in a batting average dynasty league, and I would mm-hmm. certainly take Holiday over Caminero in an OBP dynasty league. Yep, I'd agree with that straight across. And, and in fact, I think I agree with you on James Wood. I haven't I haven't really put that to the test yet. I did have some people ask me, and I was not really sure how to respond. You know, would you hold him over Wood? And it's like, uh, you know, again, like you go by the numbers, and Caminero is the better player right now 
I think wood has that potential ceiling that is sky high. But as, as an analyst and a numbers guy, I need to see it first. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. We're on the same page. I did have a someone, I think it was a someone in the Rotowire Discord uh, threw out a Ronald Acuna comp on Caminero. And uh, obviously immediately someone was like, well, different speed, you know, like not even going to yeah. come close to Acuna and stolen bases. But I almost kind of understood what he was talking about if you just throw speed out and right. look at them as just violent sluggers at this age in the lower levels uh, where they just do so much damage whenever they connect. I kind of understood the the Acuna comp on Caminero just in terms of the bat and if we throw out Acuna's speed, which is obviously a massive aspect of his value. But uh, I'd been struggling to kind of come up with a comp on Caminero, uh, but I thought that that one was, was a decent comp if we just kind of say – Acuna with zero speed, like I think that's kind of Caminero's upside, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I can see that a little bit. Uh, where I think it is maybe a little different is I might even say that Caminero might have slightly better contact skills. He doesn't walk a lot. He's not a, as you as you mentioned, he's not like an OBP guy. He's not going to be an OBP monster unless that batting average is way up there. But he doesn't strike out much either. I mean that's something I've been I've been watching really closely. That's a big deal to me. I'm like I'm allergic to strikeouts and so anytime somebody strikes out a little bit over 20%, I'm I'm starting to get a little flighty, you know. But Caminero, he doesn't strike out a lot. Um he's putting the ball in play and he's clubbing it when he does. Yeah, I mean the you know we'll we'll see that'll be put to the test when he goes up to double A and mm-hmm. And triple A, but I mean, like, I'm looking at like Acuna's um, numbers from from low A and high A, and uh, yeah, I mean, he he did he struck out um, over 30 percent of the time at high A, then got it back down to like 23 percent at double A, um, and he was he was walking more than than Caminero at this stage, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean that that's. I don't really fault Acuna for how much he swings, given how much uh, damage he does. Um, right. <laughs> but, you know, he's even this year. Like, what we're seeing from Acuna this year is is uh, just absolutely ridiculous because he, he is striking out less than 15% of the time so far this year. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. Now, the next guy, uh, I <laughs> tweeted at you about him. Uh, I think you had, like, a, a tweet about uh, some some undervalued pitching prospects and – uh this guy is probably my favorite um non-household name pitching prospect out there like i mean you and i know him everyone who's listening to a a prospect podcast probably knows emmett sheehan with the dodgers but i i just you know i'm i'm very curious where i end up ranking him in a a couple weeks because i you know i'm tempted to just put him near the very top among pitching prospects but uh what, what have you seen from Sheehan so far this year? What what really jumps out to you about him? Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, very high-volume strikeout guy. Uh, he throws in the high 90s. He's got four pitches, apparently, and a developing curve being the fourth one, but he throws a slider, a changeup, in addition to that fastball. Um, he's 
he's popping on our data lists. I think last I looked, yeah, he's up to number four for our pitching prospects. And that, I mean, that's telling. He projects for a peak XFIP of 3.57 with an extremely high K rate, 30% K rate, which is, which is pretty awesome. So the reason that I wanted to talk about him was because in that tweet, you had mentioned him and specifically, and it was like, yeah, I'm with you with you all the way. He could be a top 10 pitching prospect. That's my perspective. What do you think about Sheehan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll say like right now, I think he is like a top 10 pitching prospect. I think he's just, uh, his fastball is such a lethal pitch and, uh, his secondaries like it's almost unfair how good his fastball is when you combine the velocity and the movement uh i think uh jeff ponce at at ba he and i were talking about him uh, i think over the off season and we were just talking about his fastball and it's basically like a, a joe ryan fastball but it's upper 90s <laughs> yeah upper 90s um so it's just a, an elite pitch and hitters uh when he when he throws his off speed stuff and they're sitting fastball, it's just you know it's unfair. So um, yep. he, he I love just, that a Joe Ryan, but upper nineties. That's yeah, that's practically unhittable. Yeah, and you you look at like Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller, and like they're kind of the 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 next wave for the Dodgers. Um, but I mean, Emma Chien's been nearly unhittable at, at double a i think he probably splits the year between double a AA and triple a but uh he could be a weapon for this team in in some kind of role as early as like august or september if they if they wanted to add him to the 40-man roster i think his there was like coming into the year i thought he was there was still kind of a tbd is this a starter or is this a reliever uh he did really you know, struggle with with walks at, at other stages uh, of his mm-hmm. career. But what he's showing so far this year, uh, career best 8.3% walk rate. If he can just kind of keep it there going forward, I think he kind of puts those concerns uh, to rest for, for the time being, at least. And, you know, I, I, I thought he had a ton of value, even if he ended up in the bullpen, just because of how good that fastball is. But um yeah, I think he's got his highest ceiling. And then you throw in the Dodger team context, I think he's got his highest ceiling as, as any pitcher at double A right now. Yeah, they've, they're loaded with talent. I mean, you could always – I get people asking me these questions a lot with the Dodgers. It's like, well, where do they play? And it's like, I don't know. You know, if he's good enough, he'll he'll get in there. And if not, maybe they'll trade him. You know, I don't worry too much about that with prospects in general. Sheehan will find a place with him, I think. He's striking out almost 16 per nine and only walking three per nine. It's, he's yeah, he's a talent. All right. Now this next guy, uh, Ryan Clifford, who I, I just off the top of my head, I think he got, uh, he got seven figures in like the 11th round last year. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, Astros obviously, seemed to know what they were doing on this one. And he actually got promoted from low A to high A yesterday. Uh, so he made his high A debut yesterday. 
Uh, what have you seen from Ryan Clifford with the Astros? Boy, I don't know. I've always kind of felt like there was some kind of shenanigans going on with that, that 11th round signing. I, I'm not really sure. Like they just promised him like, Hey, we're going to take you <laughs> later on. Is that cool? Uh, pulled him away from, from a commitment and, he came in with some notoriety as a hitter. So it's not surprising to see him doing that. His draft position was way low. I was questioning that last year at the time of the draft, but so far he's, I mean, he's demonstrating an ability to get on base. That's pretty unparalleled right now on the season, 121 plate appearances, 25 walks and 27 strikeouts. For most of the year, he was walking at a higher clip than he was striking out. Um, the, so he's got a 488 OPP. It's pretty insanely high. He's not hitting a ton of home runs yet, but he came in with some notoriety as a power hitter. So I think they're going to come. Two home runs so far, but he's hitting 337. I doubt he's going to keep his batting average that high, but the guy's going to be an on-base monster, and the power is probably going to be there by the time he's getting up to the major leagues. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he hits the ball really hard. Uh, he almost, you know, does he, does he remind you of, it's almost kind of like a Edward Julian type of type of profile. Um, at least early on. I, I don't know if you, maybe there's a bit more, uh, maybe there's a bit more like, exit velocity potential um and he's he's only played corner spots uh where julian plays second base but um yeah is that that kind of the idea with this this type of profile with clifford is just like obp city and and just going to keep him in the lineup via those those on base skills i can see that i mean that's that's an interesting comp i hadn't thought about that before but but Julian kind of makes sense in that he's, I mean, he's seeing a ton of pitches. That's, that's clear, but I don't think he strikes out as much as Julian even. So there might be some higher ceiling potential. And I'm one of those guys that loves Julian. So if, you know, if I'm saying there's more potential here, then that there, there's probably something to that at least. Um, he's really popping on our leaderboards in particular, he just debuted, and I think for hitters, he was in our top 30. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, he was. He's right now he's number 26. Projecting to only strike out in 23% of his plate appearances at peak, which is pretty good compared to somebody like Julian, who's at 27. I mean, it's not a huge difference, but it's it's enough to make a difference at the major league level. So I think there's a little more ceiling potential there with, with Clifford but he's intriguing. He's going to be one of those guys that opposing pitchers are going to hate just because he's, he's waiting for that right pitch, kind of like in a, a Juan Soto, not comparing him to Juan Soto by any stretch of the imagination, but, but where he's just he's going to make you pitch to him. Now, Clifford is at high A Asheville, but uh, I think just given how young he is, he, he turns 20 in July uh, I will probably put more stock into what he does in that uh, hitter-friendly park than if he was like a 23-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like they usually have kind of college guys there uh, where I'm just kind of 
downgrading what they're doing because they're old for the level and they're at Asheville. But uh, what do you guys at, at Scott the Statline, how do you guys uh, try to account or do you factor in um, park factors? Is it, are the park factors, you know, sticky enough from year to year to, to, to use them? Like how, how do you guys go about accounting for just the, the different uh, hitting conditions and pitching conditions in the minor leagues? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that was one of our weaknesses before is that we didn't, we didn't have park factoring and that going back to last year, but we added that in during the off season, just before the season started. So all of our projected stats are adjusting at this point for, for park factors. So we do take account of that. Um, yeah. I, I think Clifford is, he's going to be pretty good, I think, but even somebody like Jordan, I I'd asked him about Clifford because he, he shared some of his personal rankings. You know, one thing that I love about scout the stat line in general is the rankings there kind of stand on their own. We still have our own opinions, right? Like these are not my personal rankings. They're just what our data model says. And then I'll usually apply my own thought processes to them for my own personal rankings. And I had asked him what he thought about Ryan Clifford, because I noticed he wasn't in his top, I don't know, I think it was 30 or 40 players he shared uh, from his list. And and he said he just overlooked them. So he's like, hey, I'll have to wait till the, till the next update. He's looking pretty good. Uh, but that's what you're getting with Clifford is somebody that potentially is is going under the, under the radar still. And being drafted in the 11th round helps with that. So there's there's a potential gap between his value – his, his probably true value and his perceived value. So I would take advantage of that if, if I was in anyone else's shoes and I'm trying to take advantage of it myself, of course, too. Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's probably long gone and in, in leagues where, you know, 300, 400 prospects are rostered. Um, but I play in some leagues where it's like, you know, 200, 250 ish prospects are rostered. He might, he might still be out there in some of those. So. Yep. And I'm surprised I've, you know, I've some of the leagues that I'm in, I've tried to, to see if I could go snag him and he was already on some of them that are in that probably 200 prospect rostered sort of zone. So he does have some kind of name recognition that is following him already. But it just depends. You gotta gotta look. And if you have somebody that's in the back end of the top 100, it might be worth trying to move him to see if you could get a guy like Clifford too. Now the next guy, uh, Cole Young with the Mariners, hasn't hit a home run yet. But it's just everything else is, you know, as exactly what you're hoping for basically so far this season. Yep. So he's kind of in the same vein a little bit. I mean, totally different types of players, so I'm not trying to compare them. But as as Ryan Clifford, he's popping. Uh, the power hasn't quite shown up. He did hit two home runs last year in just 71 plate appearances. So I think it's going to – I think it will show up eventually. More walks than he's struck out on the season so far. Yeah, everything looks great. Similar kind of age. He's a little bit younger, if I remember correctly, than than Ryan Clifford, but they're pretty close in age. Um, yeah, he's just a guy I really like. In fact, I had an interesting deal this offseason in one of my leagues where I traded Ryan Clifford 
and a pick, I think, for Cole Young. And now I'm not sure if like that was the right deal or not, but I'm glad that I've got Cole Young nonetheless. Yeah, that's a that's a really that's a complex one because um, I think I I think Clifford's bat is maybe looking a, a little bit better, but uh, the nice thing about Cole Young is his glove is you know that's going to be part of the package that gets him into the big league lineup. And uh, I'm not really buying the, you know, he's got nine steals in 27 games. I don't really think that that's indicative of what to expect from Cole Young, uh, but he could at least chip in some steals, whereas Clifford probably uh, more of a four category guy. Um, and that, that actually, I think I remember, I think you and I maybe had a conversation on Twitter of, uh, a year or two ago, uh, just about, um, and actually I think it might've even been about Julian, but how do you guys go about, um, cause like, I think stolen bases, uh, are one of the big things where some sort of statistical looking ahead from what a guy did in the minors to what he might do in the majors. I see a lot of flaws in logic in terms of, really relying on the minor league stolen base totals uh, just by themselves. But what do you guys just kind of assume, uh, how do you guys approach like projecting steals, I guess is, is a better question. So all, all of our numbers are projected along the same logic lines, right? We're, we're looking at average numbers and we're, we're looking at averages of how they've translated over time uh, or across levels is probably a better way to, to put it. So somebody like Asturio Ruiz last year stole, what was it? 82 bases across the minors and the majors, something like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, but he still, in our system was projecting for 50 stolen bases. So I, I definitely agree with you. There is a, uh, there is definitely a downgrade from minor league stolen base numbers to major leagues. And I think that's sort of accounted for, just in the average numbers, and we can see that reflected reflected here a little bit. But a guy like that still kind of breaks our system because I shouldn't say it breaks the system. The system works just fine, but he was projecting for 50 stolen bases, a WRC plus of just over 100, which is barely major league average. But he was still number one, number two on our list behind Carroll and then number one after Carroll graduated just because of that stolen base total so in our system we weigh it based on wrc plus and stolen bases so there's 80 percent of the the ranking is based on wrc plus and then 20 percent is on stolen bases so those speed guys they can really cause a little bit of chaos within our system it's by design because most leagues are five by five and so we figured there's a there's an 80 20 split and WRC plus is kind of our across the board offensive uh, category, I guess. So eventually we will probably move into projecting counting stats like RBIs and runs. And we have some obviously with home runs and stolen bases, but we might, we're probably going to move on to projecting everything out and then make an adjustable rank. So you can set in your own league settings or put in your own league style 
and it will give you a, a rank based on that. That's kind of the ultimate goal that we're heading towards. But, you know, the thing with this project is it's evolving just like the numbers on our leaderboards are evolving every day. So is our processes and how we're trying to do it. We're trying to refine it and make it the best information we can. So that's our interim goal is to, or I guess, yeah, interim or intermediary goal is to just get it so that people can customize that rank. Sometimes people question that and everybody's got a different league and we can't set up a rank, at least that's static that can cover every single league. So that's the best we've come up with so far. Yeah, I like that. I think that sounds good. And and you, like you said, like you have the, uh, like the rankings that the computer kind of spits out, but then you and Jordan can like kind of put your own yeah. uh, spin on it with just looking at certain, because it's, you know, obviously with like an Asturias Wheeze, uh, you know, no one's saying that Asturias Reese isn't going to steal a bunch of bases in the majors. It's right. it's more of those kind of in between guys, sort of the the guys that because it's not that hard to steal a base in the minors, right? Um, and it's, right. and once you get to the majors, it's it's harder to steal bases, but it's also guys in the minors. A lot of times, especially like like I know Rockies prospects for years even just the the plotting like left field types have had the green light at all times and so they're encouraged to just run wild even if they're just never going to do that in the majors if they even make it to the majors um yep. so there's just there's a lot of different stuff uh, that you have to factor in but it sounds like you guys are i like what it what it sounds like you guys are doing on that front um yeah i mean i in general i have a couple thoughts when it comes to the sts modeling like it's not a replacement for what everybody else is doing, right? Like the rankings that you do, for example, like that, that is insanely important input as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and so is this, this is just a different way to look at it. Sorry, I'm pointing at my screen, like everybody can see it, but uh, you know, it's just a different way to look at it, but it doesn't mean that it should be the only thing that you ever use because that will just cause you some problems. Cause you will see issues like that where somebody is just greenlit in the minors and then he gets up to the majors and he doesn't run, you know, it's going to happen. So you don't want to wholly, I don't know, uh, you don't want to wholly rely on that stolen base number in, in this system. In fact, one of the pieces of, of advice that I give all the time is if a guy is projected to steal a lot of bases, he's ranking pretty highly, but his WRC plus is coming in around 90 or something like that you got to ask the question, is that guy even going to play in the major leagues? Yeah. You know, he's not going to get you any stolen bases if he's, if he's not playing. So might not be worth it to go after a guy like that. All right. We are going to head to a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're going to get Ross's take on Ben Brown, who just continues to rise in that Cubs system. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A new MLB season means it's time for a new kind of daily fantasy baseball. Rival Fantasy is the fantasy platform reinventing the way daily and weekly games are played, and they've brought new games to the ballpark this year that fantasy players won't find anywhere else. Rival Fantasy's games include Fantasy Bingo, Head-to-Head Player Challenges, and Fantasy Book, where users can select over-unders for two to five players. With games like this, daily fantasy has never been better. Right now, Rotowire listeners can get a $50 protected first play That means if you win your first play, you keep your winnings. But if you lose your first entry, Rival Fantasy will fully refund you up to 50 bucks. Go to play.rivalfantasy.com slash signup and use code ROTOWIREMLB at signup and deposit a minimum of $25 to get your first entry on Rival Protected up to $50. Now's the time to step up the plate and become a rival today. Welcome to the arena. All right, Ross, as I said, we're going to talk some Ben Brown uh, it's kind of getting dry in the minors in terms of uh, high-end pitching prospects we might see in the near future. We've already seen a bunch of them debut. Uh, but Ben Brown has kind of thrown his hat into the ring. Uh, he quickly got promoted from AA to AAA this year, uh, had a good first start at AAA. Uh, so what are you seeing with, with Ben Brown? Well, he's another one of those – we're seeing a lot of these guys lately that are just – I mean, they're super tall, big dudes – just coming in uh, in the pitching ranks, and he's been dominant. And this is one of those guys where you were, we were talking about with Sheehan that, you know, control is a thing. We got to make sure that 
or he's got to make sure that he's keeping his walks down if if he's going to have much long-term success as a starter. I don't think that's an issue with Ben Brown. A bigger issue for him is just making sure that he's missing bats. And so far this year, he's doing that. He's got an ERA under one, pretty insane, while striking out 13 guys per nine. Pretty nuts. He's He's popped into our top 10 on pitchers. He's number eight overall, projecting for a 3.66 xFIP at peak. So, yeah, what, what do you think about Ben Brown? Well, I I came into the season with uh, significant questions about his control and whether he was going to throw enough strikes to start. I know that there were times last season, uh, especially before the trade from the Phillies to the Cubs where his command looked like he was just a no doubt future reliever but it seems like it's been ticking up um, you know he, he's been keeping the walk rate in, in a reasonable range especially for a guy who's missing as many bats as he is so uh, you know I don't know I think he's probably a little above his head right now uh, I mean Obviously, he's above his head from like an ERA standpoint, but I mean, just in terms of a, is he going to be this good of a strike thrower in the majors? I, I don't think so, but uh, I think he's like the strikeout upside is is clearly there to me. Uh, I think the path into that rotation is is there, uh, and I think it could happen this summer. Um, so I mean. My, my favorite things with, with pitching prospects are proximity uh, and you know, the ability to miss bats while throwing enough strikes. And it seems like uh, Brown is kind of checking most of those boxes right now. Uh, so I think he's definitely a big up arrow guy. Um, in terms of where he would slot on the next set of prospect rankings, I'm kind of thinking maybe in the 50 to 100 range overall does that does that sound like a reasonable spot to you i think that that sounds sounds about right to me but as a guy coming in without really being on many top 100 lists I, i'd say that's pretty that's pretty notable movement too so that's interesting that you saw him more as a, a control guy um was that from watching watching him in person or in in games uh, well, I, I remember talking to uh, Chris Blessing uh, of Baseball HQ. I think he'd seen, he'd seen Brown in person, and uh, he just couldn't, uh, couldn't throw any strikes um, when, when Chris saw him. Um, and it, I think it was maybe an issue that was a bigger thing for him early last season, but... Uh, there's also the aspect of, you know, the the, the Phillies traded him, um, and I can't even remember what that trade was. Um, I don't think they got anything back, really. Uh, that was the, yeah, that was the Robertson trade. So they basically got the Phillies traded Ben Brown for two months of Robertson, David Robertson, last year. So that kind of reinforced. I was just kind of like, well. Yeah, you're you're not trading a guy that has sort of mid rotation, like big time strikeout type of upside. I mean, he was 
you know, double A or, or I think close to double A when they traded him. So um, you don't usually see guys that teams are confident in being a legitimate starting pitcher getting traded for two months of a guy, but uh, teams make mistakes all the time. Like, you know, the, the Rays traded Joe Ryan for two bad months of Nelson Cruz back in the day. So uh, that doesn't, yeah, I think we got to move on from that bias. Uh, so I, I just think it's, it was a, it was a heck of a move by the Cubs to get him. And yeah, I think he's, he's just kind of, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but I, I think he's looking like a, a high strikeout, uh, starting pitcher. Maybe the whip is kind of his weakest, uh, of the four starting pitching stats when it's all said and done. But you know, I think it's, it's trending up to the point where I, I think he is a, a starting pitcher. Yeah, and I can, I mean, I can see that a little bit just looking through his profile where he was moved from the Phillies to the Cubs. They bumped him up to double A right away. And I think he was a little, he was maybe playing a little above his level at that point because the walk rate did increase uh, and his numbers minus the strikeout rate, which stayed pretty stable, definitely took a hit, it looks like to me. So, yeah, there might have been some issues there. It looks like he was getting knocked around to me, just not missing bats after that trade. But, you know, that that happens a lot with these guys where it's like a change of environment. It's, it's tough. And, of course, moving up a level doesn't make it any easier either. No, no. It, I mean, that – yeah, we've seen that uh, – like Robert Gosser with the Brewers, they, they kind of pushed him aggressively and, and he ran into – some issues with with throwing strikes and stuff. Um, this this next guy we're going to talk about, uh, Carlos Jorge, uh, really you know excellent results at in the DSL and in complex ball. Uh, I was kind of you know just sort of tapping the brakes a little bit in terms of fully buying into what he did at the complex level. We've seen. Uh, a lot of guys put up really impressive numbers, especially in the Arizona Complex League, and then fall flat at single A. And it's kind of been the opposite for Jorge. He's been even better at single A than he was in complex ball. So how, how high are you on, on Carlos Jorge? Boy, I am with you 100%. I was, this is one of those guys that I was kind of like, hey, you know, I'm not 100% sold on his performance yet coming up last year. And so I'd say I was probably even a little later to the game on Carlos Jorge, but there are these guys that come up that our data models are highlighting that I think at some point it becomes unavoidable to, to continue to, to not acknowledge them to the level that they should be acknowledged. This is one of the guys that I kept saying we need to highlight him when we were doing over the off season season, we were doing some, some podcasts on our top ranked guys and then just some other evaluations on individuals. And Carlos Jorge is one of those guys that I was saying, we, we need to talk about him because he is a rising name. I'm kind of glad that we didn't because I probably would have not been super flattering with my evaluation <laughs> of him. And now I'm kind of looking at it as this guy is one of those guys that you, you probably do want to, to look at picking up. He's got the power. He's got the speed. He hit a home run last night, in fact. And, yeah, he's looking like he could be a fantasy stud in that regard. He strikes out a little bit too much for my liking. 
but I think that that's something that's going to come down. And I mean, we're looking at a 19 year old in single A, so it's not like these are atrocious numbers. He's at about 22% on the season or 20, no, it's 23, a little over 23. So it's not, it's not bad, but something to keep an eye on for me. He's kind of just a machine though. Otherwise power speed, not a big guy, not a huge imposing guy, but he's got a, a lot of athleticism for sure. Yeah. And, uh, he'll be a big riser on my update. Uh, I think he's kind of a borderline top 100 guy right now uh and he you know he's been doing the lift and pull uh which you know you, you definitely got to do if you're a, a 510 second baseman um and it's it's been working for him and I, i'm with you though on the the strikeouts like very very impressive to lower your strikeout rate when you go from the acl to the florida state league but it's still just 24 games. Uh, that's still, it's not, you know, for a 19 year old, he's at an age appropriate level, but uh, there's still going to be a, another test when he gets the bump to high and then when he gets a bump to double A. But um, I mean, that's obviously a, a park where you'd love to see him play half his games and, and the speed is nice. And I know he's been kind of a standout on, on what's a loaded Daytona roster so far this year. So uh, definitely trending up. Yeah, on Scout the Stat Line, he's really popping. And and this is the th- this is why I wanted to highlight him. He's all the way up to number number 5. Now, sometimes with these small sample guys, we have so, like it takes a little bit of time for them to get some more played appearances to kind of run through the the model and and get more appropriately placed. And he's a guy that that just started qualifying at the beginning of the year. But he's he's in the top 10. He's number 5 for hitters, which would probably put him at about, I don't know, number nine or 10 overall. That's really high, but he's projecting for 24 home runs and 27 stolen bases per 600 plate appearances. So he's got the power and the speed in spades. It's just, I mean, seeing more of it and seeing it at higher levels is going to be critical with this guy. Sometimes the small samples can be a strength because we're seeing guys that are you know, before everyone is really taking notice of them, they're rising up. But then other times it's kind of, you know, it's, there's, there's an issue with that because they might just be on a hot streak. I don't think that's the case with Carlos Jorge here. I think I could, you could see him knock down a few pegs, but I don't think he's going to be dropping much further than that. So. So when you say he's, he's up to like five among hitters, I assume there's just no kind of ETA penalty on those rankings. No, no, no. It's just straight peak production, expected gotcha. peak production. Yep. Now that's definitely a factor that you, you'd want to layer in on this. I guess it's something we could work in. I, I had never really occurred to me to, to look at that within our data model, but maybe we could. Well, and I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I think like almost, something almost needs to be in there just because you it's way easier to put up really impressive numbers when you've only faced rookie pitchers and rookie level pitchers and single a pitchers like uh you know it's like you you just haven't faced good enough pitchers in some cases to put up bad data um so 
Um, I'd agree with that. We we didn't. I think when we well, when we first started rolling this out, we didn't have any sort of ETA associated with it. So I think that's probably why we've since then that was a that was a request and something we've implemented. So you know, we it's something we could do. I'll have to talk with Jordan about that. Maybe it's something we, we factor in there. There is, I mean, with, with the ranking, like I said, there's an, there's an 80, 20 mix between WRC plus and stolen bases, but there is some regression that applies within the rank itself to guys that have smaller samples. So even Carlos Jorge is even being penalized a little bit for having a smaller sample, but he's still that high. So we just we just see some outliers occasionally with with those guys that are coming in with less less plate appearances and it could could go either way because they are getting penalized a little bit based on the amount of plate appearances that they've got all right so we've talked about six guys so far uh all six of these guys i believe were in my top 300 entering the year and now we're getting to a couple names who weren't even in the top 400 entering the year uh, Chase Mydroth, infielder with the Boston Red Sox. He, uh, I believe, just got bumped up to double A yesterday, I want to say. Uh, yep. Really strong hard hit rates and soft hit rates up on Rotowire with Mydroth. Uh, what, what have you been seeing with him? Well, I mean, I think you, you've kind of nailed it. I, I wrote this guy up early in the season, and he was kind of my the first guy that I really keyed in on as like, this is somebody that. I need to target. Um, he, he's putting up great numbers. He's walking more than he's striking out. That's always a critical key factor for me that I like to, to look at. It's not everything, of course, but it is a factor for me. Uh, it's interesting to hear about the hard hit rates. He hasn't hit a lot of home runs. I think he's got some power. I don't think it's, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be a huge part of his game. I don't know what it is, but when I look at his numbers and I look at him, I, I just see like the energizer bunny. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, I feel like this guy can, he's got a motor. He's just going to keep going, you know? Um, so he's somebody I'm interested in. He's putting up huge OBP numbers this year. He's got a 495 OBP. So if you are in an OBP league, this is somebody you should probably cue in on. Even if he's not hitting a ton of home runs, or stealing a lot of bases, which I think he'll do decent with both, but not great. Uh, he's still somebody you want to have your attention on. How do you uh, how do you compare him to his new Double A teammate Nick York? Uh, both guys uh, who are very much uh, bat over glove infield prospects. Uh, you could maybe even argue that there might only be, be room for for one of those guys. Um, you know, how do how do you compare my draft with uh, Nick York? Well, that's a that's an interesting one. I'm glad you bring up Nick York because I know I've 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 seen some of your tweets on on York and his debut was incredible. You know, he was a guy that I I tried to acquire everywhere, and then last year was just such a disappointment dealing with a lot of health issues. It seems like he's bouncing back this year. I'm still not, you know, he's maybe somewhere in between. I don't know. Somewhere in between his debut and how he did last year. I think he's maybe a notch above that. 
the the true Nick York, but he's such a hard player to value. I'm curious. I want to hear your take on him in general because I'm still not sure what to think. I I tweeted that I it, it looked to me earlier in the year, a week or two ago, that last year was looking more like the outlier. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking at it. I'm I'm reflecting a little bit again, and it kind of looks like he's sort of in between, or maybe he's closer to that debut. But he's just playing at double A now, and you know the numbers aren't quite as strong. If you had to pick between York and Midroth, I think you'd probably go with Midroth right now. But it's it's close. I think that it would be real close. What do you think? I, I want to hear your take on York. I'm I'm really curious about that. Well, so. I think I overrated York after the 2021 season. Um, I think I had him in my top 20, uh, certainly top 25 that off season. Uh, just, I think, even, you know, back then, um, you know, we're still kind of adjusting to the new sort of realities of the minor leagues with them getting rid of short season ball. And uh, I think low A was an easier level to put up good numbers at back then than I think I, I realized and then uh, you know probably didn't quite factor in enough um, his luck on balls in play at, at high A uh, so I, I think he was a little little over his true talent level in 2021 but I do think what I'm seeing uh, is that and it's look if he'd gotten sent back to high A this year and then he was doing the exact same thing he's doing right now at double A, but, but at high A, I think it would be more of kind of a let's wait and see type of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, I think with them giving him that aggressive bump, I, I thought that was an aggressive bump after what he did last year to, to just say, all right, we're pushing him to double A anyway. Um, I think he's handled it better than I think anyone would have really guessed. Like if, if you saw this coming, I think you would have, traded for him and in, in all your dynasty leagues like over over the offseason because his value had just kind of um really diminished uh, to the point where he would have been an easy guy to trade for this past offseason um and i you know i'm really uh thankful like I, I love not doing my first big update until the end of may because i do think uh sample size is really important um and so I'm a little bit worried that like I'll I'm gonna push him all the way back up the rankings and then as soon as it goes live, then he's gonna go through his first, you know, extended struggles at double A. Um but I yeah. I'm I think it's closer like I think he's closer to what he did in twenty twenty one than what he did in twenty twenty two. Yeah. And uh the the tough thing is just sort of and I get asked about the like everyone looks at Nick York as sort of a, a low upside, high floor fantasy prospect. Uh, I think there's more upside there than people maybe give him credit for just because like, just if the, if the bats as special as I think it could be, you know, there there just aren't many guys that are sort of like 280 hitters with like a 400 OBP with, like 20 plus homer power like that might sound like a high floor low ceiling guy but there just aren't many guys like that 
and it's if you're if you're that good a hitter, you're you're always going to be hitting uh, top third of the lineup. So uh, mm-hmm. I I'm I'm buying back in on York. I'm I'm very bullish on him uh, at this point. I, I will have him, and I think I mentioned this to a, a reader who's asking about Mydroth versus York. Like they they paid York ten times as much in the draft as they paid Mydroth, so they've got a lot more invested in York. Uh, and so I, I could see, I think it's more likely that he's kind of given a chance to play every day early on than Mydroth, and maybe Mydroth kind of breaks in in sort of a a utility role and, and has to kind of earn more playing time from there. Uh, but I, I'm interested to sort of see how York does over the next couple of weeks. Um, but generally, I'm much closer to him being like back into the top 50 than needing to see much more than this. I think that's a pretty persuasive argument, and I probably, I probably agree with with all those statements. And I mean, you've got York doing what he's doing at Double A, and that's a that's a factor, obviously. So it remains to be seen how how Mydroth is going to do this when he's at that level another another thing we didn't even mention was the the fall league that york had put together which was a lot closer to his debut as well and i mean i'm a big fan of him i really am and i hope i hope that he is the player that that we thought he was in 2021 um i don't know that i'm quite seeing it yet but it's it's at least a lot closer it's a lot closer to that than it was than it is to what he was last year. That's for sure. I think top fifty might make sense. I I mean, I'm probably like high, high on him compared to everyone else that you know saying that he might be top fifty. Um, I'd be much more persuaded myself if he was a good defender, like if. If I knew that Nick York was going to play like above average defense at second base, I would feel very confident in him as a top 50 guy. But the fact that he's potentially a, we might not even be able to play him at second base thing like that to me, that's the biggest negative in his profile by, by a lot. Like I, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that this is a future everyday bat if there's a spot for the glove and uh, you know, teams just, there's only one DH spot. There's only one first base spot. And uh, you know, Tristan Casas is going to be playing in one of those spots for this team. And so I think that's, that's kind of the big uh, sort of wild card with York to me is just how iffy the defense is. Um, But I, I really like what I'm seeing with him offensively. Do you recall where you had him for second base rankings yourself? Uh, so like coming into coming in, or yeah, sorry to on the spot. Yeah, yeah, I, I can uh, I can look that up right now. I had him at number. I want to say I had him at number two, despite the bad season, just because I thought there was a lot of bad luck and injury issues, and also the position is just so weak. So There's just nothing out there. I had him at six, but I had him behind Miguel Vargas, Curtis Mead, Tamar Johnson, Connor Norby, and Edward Julian. So 
Yep. I, I don't know if you had Mead or Vargas at different positions. Um, I, I did. I had them at third base, I think. So Okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, sense. those two, but then, like, you know, I think I, I would have uh, York ahead of Tamar Johnson right now. Um, mm-hmm. I'd probably still have Connor Norby ahead of him. I'd still have Julian ahead of him. Um, looking at other second basemen behind him. Uh, I mean, you know, Carlos Jorge is probably closing in on that top five. Up there. Uh, yeah, second base is kind of a tough one in the minor leagues because those guys are playing shortstop. Yeah. You know. And then they get swapped over to second when they're when they're in the majors if they got somebody better defensively ahead of them. So it's a, I think it's a really tough position. But if we're if we're just looking at a top ten there, I, I would still think York is one of your best options. Um, you're right about the defense. It's clearly a something to to look out for. I think from an offensive ceiling perspective. I could almost see York. This is a really, you know, this isn't the the brightest sort of comp because he's also a Red Sox second baseman, but I could see kind of like an offensive ceiling of like a Dustin Pedroia with less on the stolen base side of things. Um, maybe maybe a tick more power, but pretty close. I could I could see something like that strictly from an offensive profile standpoint. Does he get to play like that? I mean, Pedroia was obviously a good defender, so they're they're very different in that regard. But he's somebody I'm interested in, and I, I still think he could be a really good contributor. Yeah, I, I always end up kind of comparing him to – I mean, I think the Pedroia one is, is, is solid. Uh, I always end up kind of comparing him to like uh, Justin Turner or Anthony Rendon type of like yeah. – four category third base guys where it's not it's not like 30 homer power on a consistent basis but it's you know 25 homers really good average really good obp that type of thing yep yeah i'd agree with that as far as him and and Midroth go i you know is he gonna i could see them them sliding Midroth to a different position he's already playing some third base before they called him up so Yep. Maybe they're going to put him over there. Um, we'll see. That happens all the time in the minor leagues, as as you know. So, yeah, I mean they're they're going to be doing their best to find a spot for for both those guys. But uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, the next or the the second and final pitcher we'll talk about is the second guy and the, the last guy from your your ten players who I did not have ranked coming into the season. That's Noah Cameron with the Kansas city Royals, uh, six foot three lefty, uh, a pretty glowing report written up by, uh, Jeff Ponce on baseball America a week, week ago or so. Uh, he's definitely a, a breakout so far through six starts. Uh, how high are you guys on, on Noah Cameron? So he's coming in. He's a little bit more of a small sample guy for us, so he's he's slightly knocked for that. But he is coming in in our pitching ranks at number 14th, 14, which would put him in probably the back end of that put put him in the top hundred, but not near the not near the higher end. A lot of the pitchers are are lower in our combined ranks. Um, actually, let me just pull that up. If I recall correctly. 
Noah Cameron has a very nice changeup. His ERA this year is not is not really reflecting his I, I think his true value. He's sitting at a four point three four right now, but he's striking out nearly fifteen batters per nine, and he's only walking one and a half. So the the stuff and the the control and command seem to be there. Um, do you have any particular thoughts on Cameron that you can share? Uh, well, it sounds like it's, uh, I mean, this is another, like the, the lefties that have, uh, three pitches that they can throw for strikes, uh, especially if they've got a, a good changeup, those are the, you you get a lot of sort of false positives with those guys, especially at mm-hmm. single A and at high A. Um, so I'm yeah. always, when, when it's a guy like that, a lefty who's breaking out in, in kind of the lower full season levels, I always want to see what the, the scouts are saying in terms of just like, is this real rotation stuff or is he just getting by on deception and just overmatching guys that don't know how to handle a guy with a full repertoire? Uh, but it, it does sound like uh, the scouts are, are on board. Uh, more kind of low 90s fastball velocity. Um, so that would be something to kind of keep an eye on as he, as he climbs the ladder. But, you know, if you're a lefty and you're like 93 with the fastball and you've got good secondaries and good command that that's, that can play. Um, so, uh, I'll be interested to see if he maybe adds a tick in the next year or two. It'd be a lot nicer if he was sort of sitting 94, 95. Uh, but I've definitely seen enough, um, and, and read enough sort of positive, reports on him to to think of him as you know like a middle of the top 400 type of guy i think yeah he's he's an interesting one he's the things that i i'm keying in on is i think he's been a little a little unlucky perhaps he's allowed five home runs already in just his 29 innings so uh you know he's gonna have to try to limit those kind of outcomes uh and He's got the stuff. I, I think he's got the stuff. I don't know. The velocity, I think, is a is a thing to keep an eye on because you do want, these days especially, you want a guy that's pitching a little more consistently in the upper 90s, mid to upper 90s at least. So that's something that could factor into his long, long-term value. But I think outside of that, I mean, a great presence on the mound, which I think is really important. Oh, did I say it's two and a half walks per nine? I think I misread that earlier. But anyway, yeah, Noah Cameron, it's a good one. Well, he's, I mean, he's never had a strikeout minus walk rate below 25% as a pro. Um, so yeah. still, I mean, I think he probably gets a bump to double A, I would think almost before the end of the month. Um, he's made 15 starts at high A dating back to last year so. Uh, you think it have to come pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. He should, he should get a push here. Uh, let's talk about these last two guys together, Edgar Caro and Dalton rushing. Uh, everyone knows about these guys, a lot of <laughs> where you sort of value Edgar Caro and Dalton rushing sort of depends on your philosophy with ranking catching prospects. Uh, something that I <laughs> struggle with, uh, and I'm very upfront with my struggles with 
you know, how to sort of tax catching prospects um, mm-hmm. in my kind of general philosophy about uh, devaluing them. Um, but is this, uh, should we talk about these guys specifically first, or do you want to just jump right into sort of um, your, your sort of stance on how to value catching prospects? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll talk about that. I Catchers are really tough for me in general too, just, just like they are for you. Um, one thing that I appreciate about the, the scout, the sat line models is they don't really care about the position. They're just saying how good, how, do, how good does this guy hit? So I do think we have a wave of good, valuable catchers coming up, whether they're going to like stick in that position or not is uncertain. I mean, some of these guys are so good at hitting that they might not want to put them behind the plate. You know, they might want to move them to first base or left field. Some of the, a lot of a lot of the catching prospects are fairly defensively limited in other spots. So depends on a lot of factors where they're going to end up. But I'm not too concerned with it myself. I just want a guy that when I'm looking at prospects in general, I just want a guy that can hit. And I think we got two really good ones on the tail end of this list: Edgar Cuero and and Dalton Rushing. Cuero doesn't have any home runs yet on the season, which is a interesting little. I think tip. he might have. I think he might have just hit. He just hit one. I, think, I thought I saw that. Um, yeah, he. I think he hit one maybe last night. Um, last night. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. Good. Well, so so he didn't. Last time I checked the the numbers here, didn't have anybody was watching. Or no, he he hit one. He hit one this afternoon. It was Sorry. today. Yeah. Even better, even better. I love it. Great timing. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been saying this about him, like the power will come. He hit with good power is the, over the last two years. So I, I had no doubt about that. But this guy surprised everybody being bumped up to double A this year, I think. You know, I don't think there was a lot of people that were expecting that. And I think it shows that the Angels believe in him. And I think he's he's risen to to the level really well. I mean, he's nobody is overpowering him at this point, even though he hasn't been hitting with, with the power that people were expecting his OBP prior to today was 473 slugging percentage was lower. 414 is going to be a little higher now, which is awesome. Um, but I think he's going to be a good hitter. They'll find a place to play him. It sounds like he's not very good behind the plate, so it might not be as a catcher. Yeah, I mean, I, with both these guys, I'd be kind of rooting for them to to change be moved position, off yeah. the position. And yep. Dalton Rushing's already playing some first base, which I really like to see. Yep. Uh, it's funny. It's funny we're going to talk like talking about how good Edgar Caro's been, and Dalton Rushing's putting up ridiculous numbers. And then it's like Dalton Rushing's twenty two, and he's at high A, and Edgar Caro is uh-huh. twenty, and he's at double A. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's kind of, it should almost, it should be backwards. We should be talking about Carroll at high and rushing at double A, but uh, <laughs> yep. yeah, I, I think it's just kind of, um, it's just really challenging because I, in, in, you know, in my dynasty leagues, at least uh, like for instance, Creed Willems uh, with the, the mm-hmm. Orioles, uh, yeah. he's just been kind of, a super obvious pop-up guy this year, but in 
all my dynasty leagues, he just like lasted out there on waivers much longer than he would have if he was a non-catcher. And uh, Creed Willems is, mm-hmm. is you know barely a catcher, I would say. Uh, he's kind of like a DH essentially. Um, but I mean, anyway, like part of my argument against overvaluing the Caros and the rushings is that it seems like every year there are more Caros and rushings just kind of popping up and you can just get them. Like anyone could have added Creed Willems in their dynasty leagues in April. And then they could be like, well, I've got a great catching prospect. Um, And you could have done the same with Carol last year. And if you just keep adding these guys, like you could add Yaner Fernandez, uh, who I really like at, at high A for the Dodgers as well. Like you can, you can add all these guys, but if you have three or four of them and your league only starts one catcher, then you have to worry about trying to trade those guys. But it, it's just, it's hard. There's a supply and demand issue in those yeah. leagues at the catcher position. So, well, it's interesting that that is an issue because I don't remember that being the case going back. Five oh, no. Years. It's, it's a new, it's a new thing for sure. It is. It is. And it's fascinating because I, I think you're right. I've, I've been picking up these guys in some of my leagues on the basis of their, their bat strength. And then as these guys have been moving closer to the major leagues, it's like, I've got like five catchers and yeah. I'm trying to trade these guys. I'm like, look, this guy's a, he's a top prospect. He's in the top 10, you know, Everywhere you look, he's a top 10 guy and nobody wants to trade for him. It's just bizarre. It, it kind of defies all my my preconceived notions about the position. But And then the, the teams you're trying to trade with are looking at your, like you've got these five awesome catching prospects and they know that you have to trade them. <laughs> like they're yeah, like, right. well, why would I give you, why am I giving you 100% <laughs> on the dollar for this guy when you have four of these guys and you can only fit one of them in your lineup? Yep. Yeah, it's gotten me into a couple pickles, and now I've got some teams where it's like there's there's three guys that are like a Moreno and an Alvarez. You know, they're they're all coming up at the same time. And anyone that has followed me or read any of my stuff in the past knows that I love Alejandro Kirk. So I've got him rostered in like every single league already. You know, so mm-hmm. trying to trying to find a spot for all these guys is is becoming a challenge. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah. So it, it just, it's, it's kind of a, it's not even a problem, but it's just, it's something you got to keep in mind. Like if you're, if you're paying attention, I feel like every year there are going to be multiple catchers who pop up, who uh, just in terms of what they're producing are top 200 prospects or even top 100 prospects. And, you know, you have to kind of make your own decision on like how many of those guys you want to roster, how good are you at, at, flipping those guys and turning them into to value that way. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting, but I also do think if you're in really deep leagues and this is like the first year I've, I've ever even thought of this being a possibility, but if you're in say like a very competitive 20 team league, or I know a lot of people play in 30 team dynasty leagues. Like if you're in those types of leagues, I think as soon as like this year or next year, and certainly in a couple of years with all these great catching prospects we have starting a catcher in your util spot is going to be a legitimate move. Uh, yeah. And that yeah. would have been insane to think about five years ago. Like if you're starting a catcher in your util spot, that just means that you're basically taking the lowest amount of production that you tell of anyone in your league. But 
Uh, it could get to a point where I would be very comfortable starting a Dalton rushing in my util spot, even if I have a, a really good catcher. Yeah, agree a hundred percent. I it, it's the the landscape is changing. That's for sure. All right, uh, before we go, Ross, I want to give you a chance to sort of let people know uh, what you guys have going on at Scout the Stat Line and and how they can get that content. Okay. Well, let me give you my 30-second spiel, uh, scoutthestatline.com. Our, our big strength is is really in trying to highlight pop-up prospects and, and finding these guys that that aren't getting a lot of mention other in other places. So if please just visit the site, check it out. We got articles there. We got all sorts of leaderboards. A lot of it is very data-driven sort of stuff. Um, we'd, we'd love to have you... I don't know, take a look. And if you see the value in what we're trying to provide, consider a membership there. Five bucks a month, it's not much. And I think it's super helpful for Dynasty Leagues. You will unlock daily updates to all those leaderboards, which to me is insanely helpful. I'm looking at them every day. And so I see the value in it. And I, ho- I hope everybody else does too. But we've also got player highlights that, that come along with that, uh, a daily highlight. So we're bringing up a new name every single day with a a nice write-up so you can read more about them all sorts of other good stuff that you get and we're we're evolving you know we've got a group where we're 10 people or so that are contributing to our site and we're trying to make it the best place that we can for finding this kind of critical information that people are looking for so that's really it check us out if you like it you know join or not or whatever Follow me on Twitter, Ross Jensen 12. I think uh, I can help out, hopefully. And if I suck, tell me I suck. That's fine, too. <laughs> well, you definitely don't suck. Uh, definitely recommend following Ross and uh, supporting Scott the Statline. Uh, Ross, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot, James. Appreciate it. This has uh, been the Rotowire prospect podcast as i mentioned i am shooting to have the big top 400 update live on the site uh thursday may 25th is kind of the target date for that um so so stay tuned there uh brought to you by rival fantasy and i'll be back with another episode next week mother's day is almost here and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.